1: When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Dobson <laughs> bounces off the head from Vogel. Noah Dobson, the rapper up. have the chances.
0: Now it catches it. Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles, the nothing comes easy edition. I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to this show and every Lighthouse Hockey podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review. Or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Coming up, Gotham Sports Network's James Duffy will join us to either bury the Islanders or tell us why there is still some hope. Uh, That should be fun. But first, the Islanders dropped their sixth straight game, 3-2 to the Carolina Hurricanes in overtime Saturday afternoon at the Coliseum. Hard to believe that a Barry Trotz-led team has now lost six straight games, especially after last year where I don't think the Islanders lost three games all season in a row. Um, they came out of this game pretty lethargic, and and it's really perplexing as to why a team as desperate as the Islanders should be are still having these sluggish first periods. But they were down one nothing, uh, tied the game on the Ryan Pulock goal, uh, got a bad break uh, that led to the two one goal for Carolina. As Andy Green went to go block a shot, it went off the inside of his skate, led to an, pretty much an empty net tap in goal, made it two one. But they showed some fight. Uh, they really had the better of the play in the third period. And then Noah Dobson probably makes his best play um, as an Islander as he kind of muscles around the boards for the wraparound chance. And then Josh Bailey, who had a couple opportunities earlier in the period, able to bury it 2-2. At that point, you think the Islanders got all the momentum, and you certainly thought they were on the you know precipice of winning this game when Matt Barzell draws the two-minute minor and they go to the power play. They're going to have a 5-on-4 for the rest of the third, a 4-on-3 in overtime and um, that all goes away. Barzal gets the double minor, went to go lift the stick, got the player's uh, lip, drew some blood, and the power play was over, and ultimately that led to the Carolina Hurricane power play goal in overtime to win it, and you've just been waiting for the Islanders to get that one moment where all of this kind of stress and this dark cloud that's been hanging above them just kind of goes all the way in one, one fell swoop, and you thought maybe a overtime power play goal a comeback win like that could have done it for them certainly looked at the reaction of the bench um after the bailey goal it felt that way and then to take the double minor penalty the cardinal sin as barry trotz called it in the um in the post game incidental it happens uh certainly but just an awful time for it to happen and then you have a you know Salt in the wound with the way the final goal was scored. Uh, I think uh, all of us watching from home, certainly when we started to see the various angles from the overhead, look like, you know, first I think a lot of us were thinking at the crossbar as, you know, how high above the crossbar the stick was, certainly. Um, but Brendan Burke always right on top of the rule book, made it clear because the puck hit the post and then was first touched uh, by a Carolina Hurricanes player. You're not looking at the crossbar because it didn't, directly go into the net as a goal you're looking at the shoulders for whether or not the play should have been blown down for a high stick i saw a few different angles uh right away obviously it looked clearly like it was over the shoulders i know there was a couple other angles from closer to ice level where it was closer still i did not see one where it looked like a good goal to me obviously those in toronto watching this felt like they couldn't make it um you know it was a little confusing as to whether or not they felt like the goal was confirmed or whether or not the goal stood, whether you know trying to indicate whether or not they had conclusive evidence or not, uh, based on what they released in a statement and what was said on the ice. Either way, the goal stands. Uh, Trocheck able to put it in as it knocked off of uh, Scott Mayfield deep in the crease and went into the net, and the Islanders lost their sixth straight game. Did get a point to get them to seventy nine points, and at the time they were still the top wild card team. Um, in the Eastern Conference. Um, that has since changed. Uh, but first, let's hear from the Islanders' captain, Anders Lee, on, on losing a game on a tough call like that.
1: You hate to see a game end like that. That was a good hockey game. And um, that doesn't sit well at all. Um, I know there's a rules explanation. Um, we'll, we'll know why. But, I, I mean, I'm watching that over there, thinking we're, we're turning this around. we got to draw. I mean, their team was drawing up another play. So, uh, a lot of uncertainty on that one. Um, and, uh, I'm sure we'll figure it out, but that's just a tough way to lose a game.
0: So Lee and I think all the players at that point were searching for some answers and hopefully they got some of them. Um, not that that's going to make you feel any better, uh, of course, moving forward, but, um, you know, just a bit of a long line of Islander games now in this recent history where every misstep every bad play ends up in their net and certainly every bounce and every bad break uh, seems to be happening to them. Um, Another clip here from Andrews Lee, um, a reporter asked uh, about, you know, can you salvage the season? And um, Andrews kind of, you know, balked a little bit at that question and here was his response.
1: Salvage the season. Come on. We're in a playoff spot right now. There's a lot of hockey left. We're playing, played a good game tonight. Um, There's nothing lost here other than uh, a point. And um, a good effort. We had a good effort tonight. Um, and we go on the road and uh, we make it right.
0: So a little has changed since Andrews Lee spoke to the media and talked about being in a playoff position because the Islanders are no longer in a playoff position as we record this on Monday. They had a really good scoreboard watching session on Saturday night. Uh, Columbus lost. The Rangers lost to the Devils. And uh, you woke up Sunday morning and the Islanders were still in seventh place with the top wild card spot in the East. However, Sunday not as good to the Islanders. Carolina, a 6-2 win in Pittsburgh. Really impressive. They went to that third period 3-2, win it 6-2, second game and a back-to-back for them. And then Columbus plays a really solid game and beats Vancouver 2-1. So right now, the Islanders are the ninth place team on the outside looking into the playoffs. Obviously, they have three games in hand on the Columbus Blue Jackets, who they are two points behind. And then they're tied in points with the Carolina Hurricanes at 79 points. Um, Islanders are probably not going to get any of these tiebreakers based on the lack of games they've won in regulation this season. And you know the little wrinkle in the rule where the overtime win does not count the same. It's not weighted the same as a regulation win this season. So you know, if the Islanders are going to make the playoffs, they're probably going to have to have one point better um, than either the Blue Jackets, Hurricanes, uh, Rangers, or Florida Panthers. And, you know, they, they've talked about that nothing comes easy uh, for this team lately, but nothing has really come hard either. You know, I mean, even in, in certain games where they've played well, um, they haven't been able to do things. And, um, you know, you look back at this six game stretch here, you know, take me back to before the Ranger game. Islanders had won two games in a row against the Red Wings and San Jose Sharks. They make the Pajot trade, sign them to the long-term contract. They get them on the ice for the game against the Rangers. The building is rocking. Islanders are flying in that first period, um, but unable to score. Pajot gets them back into the game with a goal. Brock Nelson ties it late, uh, but they fall to the Rangers in overtime. But it's a point where you know they probably deserved two that game. They were the better team. Next, they're gone to St. Louis. They're up two nothing in that game. They're up two one late in the third. Give up the lead, losing overtime. Still, you're able to say yourself, "All right, they played a really good game against the Rangers. They got a point on the road against the Stanley Cup champions, and then they lose to the Bruins four nothing. That game, they were never in. They lose it in the first ten minutes or so when they fall down two nothing with some bad bounces." And you just chalk it up to the Bruins and the Islanders being the Bruins and the Islanders. That's how those games go, especially those games that the Islanders seem to be the home team. Problem was, and I was really positive still on this team, as much as I could be, at that point. But then to lose the way they lost to Montreal and then lose inexplicably to Ottawa 4-3 two days later. You know, in some ways, you... You don't deserve to come out of this after losing those two games and what those two de- two efforts were. Think about how the standings would look and how you would feel if they had gotten two or three points in those two games against two teams that are out of the playoff picture, not on the outside trying to fight their way back in, but out of it. They're two lottery teams. And the, the Islanders let Montreal come in and knock out Thomas Grice after the first period and pretty much blow them out. And to add insult to injury, very scary moment with Johnny Boychuk, where yet another Islander player takes a skate, this time to the face area. We all were so worried about his eye. Uh, Johnny had some great humor and and lightheartedness to, to let us know that he's okay, but obviously not back in the lineup yet. Something like 90 stitches on his eyelid after that. And then you go, okay, standings are still in the Islanders' favor. Go to Ottawa, get two points, come home, and beat Carolina and they have a 2-1 lead to Ottawa, and they give up a shorthanded goal. Then they give up the lead. They're down 4-2 after they're pressing a little bit. Um, Kachuk gets the goal and makes it a two-goal lead. Again, they kind of draw you in a little bit as they get the, four, the the goal to bring it into within one. Ryan Pulak made it 4-3, but unable to get the equalizer when they lose in Ottawa. That though The fact that they got no points in those two games were, okay, this is a big problem. Now, they played a much better game against Carolina. I think they played well enough to win that game. They were probably the better team from the second period on. But can't lose those two games to Montreal and Ottawa and not pay a price. And right now the Islanders are paying the price, and they are outside of the playoffs with a pretty daunting schedule coming up. Um, This Western Conference, West Canada trip is never easy. You have a back-to-back in there, and then when it's over, you get to go to Pittsburgh to play the Penguins, and when that's done, you get to play the Toronto Maple Leafs. So things are not getting easier. So they gotta find a way to to win games, to find their confidence again. You have multiple players talking about having to get their confidence back. They are waiting for someone or something to happen for that for that confidence that that they had in that early part of the season to happen again, where they're expecting good things to happen. I'm still waiting for Casey Zizekas to get back. Kyle Clutterbuck has been banged up in and out of the lineup. I actually thought Andrew Ladd played a pretty good game probably the best game he's played in two years for the Islanders uh, was physical it was playing with Michael Dalcole they were a pretty good line you know but that second line needs to step up Brock Nelson where have you been uh Brock Nelson getting I think a bit of a pass uh, certainly from Islander fans because he's just played so well the last year year and a half and he was certainly deserving of that long-term contract but um, right now he's fighting it um, he can't get on the board. Anthony Beauvillier has gone into another spell, although you know Barry Trotz was complimentary of some of, of some of his play on Sunday. Um, but um, you know, these core underlying problems for the Islanders in terms of their lack of offense are coming front and center. They are trying to win games, you know, with two goals, three goals every single night and they're no longer giving up one and two a night and getting shutouts and getting the key saves at the key moments. And we don't have that, and you can't score three four goals a night to ensure you get points or get wins. Uh, this is the formula that's going on. Uh, two, five, and three in their last ten games, and they're very, very fortunate to be in their position that they're in, which is that they still control their destiny, that it's still up to them. If they finish better than Columbus and the Rangers— they're going to be in the playoffs um, and they have a game in hand to the Rangers and a three point lead. And they have three games in hand against the Columbus blue jackets. So when you look at that, you say, you know, things should be okay. They should be able to find a way. Can they, can, cause they can't continue to play in this malaise for much, much longer, but it went through January. It went through February and here we are approaching mid-March and the same type of games are being played by this team. And, um, they need not just one or two players to flip the switch and start to play better. They need, you know, six, seven, eight, nine guys all turning the corner here at the same time and start to play much, much better hockey. Or they're going to start to slide even further uh, down the standings. And um, you know, I was trying to think about this. I can't recall recently an Islander season quite like this, where they had been in such cemented playoff positioning and have slowly slid out of the playoffs. I'm trying to think of other years, and I can't feel one that I can't find one that feels similar. Um, I remember the '93-'94 team; they were battling with the expansion Florida Panthers all year long. They had a great final stretch of the season. They ended up uh, clinching a playoff spot on the next-to-last game of the season against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Actually, lost to the Panthers, I think, on the final game of that season, and then they go you know, for the right to get swept and embarrassed by the Rangers in in one round. And then obviously they make the playoffs again 2002. They were a rock-solid playoff team uh, from the very start of the year when they started off with that, um, you know, unbeaten in their first 10-game stretch uh, to kick off the season. And then they were battling for the 8th spot really after that in 2002. Uh, three, two thousand four, two thousand seven. They make the Smith trade. They're battling. They make the playoffs. Have to. They're down three points with two games to go. They sneak in on the final day um, on the Wade Dublouit's poke check game against the Devils. So, you know, two thousand thirteen. They're battling in that shortened season. They get the eighth spot again. So, you know, usually the Islanders are kind of that team that's digging themselves a hole and they're trying to catch other teams to be in that eighth spot. I can't recall another season like this where they have been the team that's been at the top of the standings. Remember, this was a, a team that was number one in the power rankings for a period of time this year. They were finally getting accolades from the you know NHL media types, and uh, it's been a slow, slow bleed down the standings ever, ever since. So um, as, I, as I said on social media this, this week, I'm not counting them out. They're not dead. There's too much hockey to play, and their position is still too advantageous to consider them that way. Um, but boy, the way they've played hockey over the last few t- long stretch um, hasn't given you much to believe that they're going to turn around. You're just hoping that something happens unexpectedly that all of a sudden makes them feel as if they can they can start playing much, much better hockey as a group again. Um, and, and it's got to start on Tuesday. And um, for those of us that are going to be up watching it uh, to 1 o'clock in the morning, I hope you're rewarded uh, with the victory. Um, otherwise, it's going to be a, a pretty sleepless night <laughs> uh, regardless. And we'll take a break here. When we come back, I'll be joined by James Duffy of Gotham Sports Network. You're listening to P.T. Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. We're back, PC Isles, Joe Bona with you, joined now by my former co-host, you know him from Gotham Sports Network, that's James Duffy, at Two Turtleduffs on Twitter. James, how you doing?
1: Well, Joe, I'm happy to be here, but I wish it was under better circumstances.
0: Yes, well, I wanted to, you know, calm everyone down from the stock market and coronavirus, and uh, figure that you would be uh, the most calming presence for Islander fans right now uh, to discuss the, the team's current plight.
1: Yeah, I think I've been the, the most rational and least alarmist voice in the fan base <laughs> for years now, so this makes a lot of sense to me.
0: <laughs> and uh, I think you know the headline of your most recent article for Gotham Sports Network really kind of sums up where I am right now. You said why the Islanders could but probably won't make the playoffs. And they think, and they think that's kind of where I'm at. You know, certain people declaring them dead after the um, loss to the Ottawa Senators. And I'm going, you can't really say they're dead. They're, they're in a playoff position. There's roughly 20% of the season to go, but you go, ugh, they've been playing this way for a long, long time. James, it really don't see a way out of it.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you know, a uh, six game losing skid makes everything look a lot worse than it really is. But you're looking at what is a 500 team since the point streak. So there's not a whole lot of reason for optimism outside of the fact that the entire wild card race is just a mess right now. I mean, Columbus can't stay healthy. Carolina has no goaltenders and the Rangers obviously had that great run of winning nine out of 10, but have kind of tempered off a little bit since then. So that leaves the Islanders who have two wins in their last 10 games still sitting tied for a playoff spot right now. So I, I mean, they're really kind of being given new life by every other team that's still in the race, also struggling just like they are.
0: Yeah, the one thing that is keeping them around is just because there's enough teams sputtering in the Metro Division um, to where you know you wake up day after day and they send they, over the last couple of weeks and they've still been in decent playoff positioning, although that changed on Monday morning as uh, Columbus uh, won two-one in Vancouver. That coupled with Carolina winning six to two against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and now the Islanders find themselves on the outside looking in, you know, this is kind of where you start to kind of question, you know, were all the prognosticators correct uh, last year? Was last year just a fluke? Were they correct this year when looking at this team? And um, it, to me, it's like a, a kind of a complement of a several different things all happening at once. The goaltending not playing nearly as good as it needs to be, and the scoring, while never the strength of the team, you have certain players currently right now simultaneously going silent, and that's just a dangerous, dangerous combination for a team with this, this type of roster talent.
1: Yeah, it's dried up for a little while now. Um, and I think about your point on whether or not people were right going back to last year. I, I, I'm not sure that's even really fair to say because it's impossible to look at last year's team and this year's team and put them on the same playing field. Um, you know, first of all, I just think that with this year's roster, you're still building off some wear and tear from last year because Barry Trotz got here, the entire team game is play as hard as you can. You will not be faster and you will not be more talented than your opponents. So you have to outwork them. And after, you know, close to about 150 games of outworking your opponents, there's clearly a bit of exhaustion there. And that's only doubled by the fact that this season they've been playing mostly with five defensemen mostly with only three lines they can actually count on. So you're left with the guys that you're, you're relying on more often than not are playing more minutes than they're used to, expounded by the fact that they're playing a harder style of hockey that when you get to game 70 of the season, there's going to be a, not a ton left in the tank. and I think we're starting to see that. It, not to imply they're going to lose out like they've lost six in a row here, but I, I think this skid, while obviously worse than we could have expected, should have also been somewhat seen coming.
0: James Duffy, Gotham Sports Network, is our guest. Follow him on Twitter, at duffs. You know, I think what's really disappointing is that, you know, they have that back-to-back wins against the Red Wings and Sharks, and uh, you, they've had a couple moments in these last couple months where you figured they've now righted the ship. they picked up a few wins in a row, and now things are starting to turn around. And then they make the trade. They make the big, bold move at the deadline, acquiring J.G. Pajot and then inking him up to a long-term deal. And then they get him, you know, they get him available. They get the visa process through and he's on the ice against the Rangers. And you're feeling great going into that game. And now we just blink, you know, four or five games later and things are so, so dire and they've yet to win a game uh, with Pajot in the lineup. And, um, you know, I think already people now are focused on a lot fairly or not on Lou Lamarillo and what he has done and maybe not done with this roster and, You know, I don't know. I'm kind of split on it. I think we've kind of beaten the, you know, the dead horse on the Leo Komarov signing. There's some questionable other deals in terms of term. But, you know, if if the Islanders were not going to be in a tear it down, rebuild it mode, you know, really what other options were out there, James, considering, you know, they went for Panarin in the offseason. That did not happen. I don't know if he had much had many choices other than to construct the roster uh, this way after the way they played last year.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're entirely wrong with that. Um, I just think that they are in a Thank very you. weird situation, like <laughs> you said, where they, they're they basically turning into, uh, and this is something that Carrie Haber says a lot, they're turning into the Minnesota Wild of the East where you're looking at an aging core with not a lot of room for forward growth because of the, the, the fact that they're going to be pretty much hemmed in on the cap moving into next year with three of their top players needing new contracts. Um, and there's really not a whole ton of wiggle room with the GM that has not shown a ton of creativity in his two years uh, as the Islanders uh, head chief. So it's definitely frustrating. Um, I I think there were a lot of peripheral moves that could have been made throughout the season that, that would have made the team better um, just by the virtue of the fact that you could have gotten a Leo Komarov out of the lineup for this stretch by maybe say trading for a Robbie Fabry type, who is not a great player, but has 15 goals this year for the Red Wings and got traded for an AHL defenseman. So, you know, I agree with you that a lot of the times when it comes to striking out on the big fish, it's easy to blame Lamarillo, but with Panarin and with Stone, those are situations where the guys, it came down to the fact that they didn't want to play here and that's out of Lamarillo's hands at the end of the day. But what frustrates me more often than not is the fact that some of these, I I guess, more fringe moves that don't necessarily move the needle for the average team could make a big difference for the Islanders. And I think getting Andy Green was one of those type of moves, but I think if they added another winger, Um, And the rumored Zach Parise deal, I think, would have been very good because he's more of a still currently higher end scoring option than what was available. But even just adding anybody to plug holes in the bottom six, it could have made somewhat of a difference. Uh, Maybe not substantial, but uh, keeping the ship generally intact at the deadline, I think we'd all agree that at least one other move could have and should have been made.
0: Yeah, without question. I think certainly they waited until the deadline to improve the forward group. And, um, you know, could there have been other moves made? Like you said, marginal-type players that still would have made the lineup deeper earlier. Uh, Quite possibly that is a fair criticism of Lamarillo. And and then to your point, um, you know, looking at next year and and this offseason, because whether they make the playoffs or not, whether or not they sneak in as the eight or 7th seed or not, these problems are will persist and they're going to be there and they're going to, you know, they talked about flexibility and being able to sign all their restricted free agents. Um, I wonder if that flexibility means that they need to, you know, unload and trade other parts of uh, their current roster right now, but to do that and not take on, ta- not take on um, salary is really, really difficult. I can see a scenario where you're uh, trading a Nick Letty to maybe recoup some of the draft picks you've just given up for a Paggio or for green or maybe another player that makes sense for another team that brings back a pick or two. But I don't see a scenario where you're making the big trade with their asset group for the other player for the young, you know, talented forward that makes a lot of money. So, you know, you look at kind of you know where the upside is for the roster even if they are able to make some moves and, and resign their restricted free agents, it still seems like the ceiling is, is very close to where they are right now
1: yeah and I am of the opinion, and I was fearful of this last season where when it came to the deadline last year, I basically said, if in Lamarillo's five year plan, which was touted as kind of his vision when he took over, if this year 2018-19, uh, is the best season the islanders have under Lamarillo, then it's a massive disaster and it, and it looks like potentially obviously we're we're in year two of this quote unquote five year plan, but it does look like we're trending that direction and Last season, while it was something of an anomaly, you know, I think that that is the team's ceiling, obviously. And like you said, without much wiggle room, it's very hard to see them progressing any further. And it may be weird to talk about a team that is currently a point out of being in the playoffs and two points out of the first wild card, looking ahead to what they do in the off season, when there's still enough of this season left ahead. But doesn't it almost be like a moot point whether they – finish ninth in the East or finish 8th in the East and get trounced by Boston in the first round?
0: Yeah, I mean, even even if they, when they were playing well, you, go, you thought to yourself, you know, is this the team that can kind of make a run in the playoffs? And listen, we've seen strange things happen in the NHL and other playoffs, so you need to be in the tournament to start, and I don't think anyone would, you know, not choose making the playoffs over being on the outside in and having a shot at a top-three lottery pick. Um which, you know, thankfully that's protected because they may need that, um, in a worst case scenario here. Um but but yeah, you look you look how they stack up against other teams in the in the metro and as well as the Atlantic, you know, it, at it best it's a coin flip of a series against most teams and those against teams that are playing much, much better than they are right now if they were to somehow uh back in over these last fifteen games. Um if we can just focus in on a couple of players specifically, um I think the first line of, of Barzell, Lee, and Everly, they've been pretty good the last couple of games, especially that Ottawa game. They had, uh, you know, Barry Trotz had them out as much as possible, as much as possible. Um, you know, obviously maybe they, they, you know, Barzell's not scoring the way he did earlier in the year, three goals in 30 plus games, but you know they're still generating some opportunities. Everly's been probably their best scorer over the last extended period of time, but that second line you know, when the third line and the fourth line is what it is right now due to injuries, that second line of, of Nelson, Bailey, and Beauvillier, I mean, has just been, you know, we've all talked about all three of them usually disappearing. They're all disappearing at the same time on the same line, Josh Bailey's goal um, on on Saturday notwithstanding.
1: Yeah, uh, of course, that that really is kind of incredibly frustrating, and then it puts so much more pressure back on that top line. And um, I, I'm sure you have seen it as well, the, the flurry of takes in the last few days about
0: um,
1: where Matt Barzell kind of begins to take responsibility and be looked at as uh, another piece of the problem uh, so far this season, which I personally think is a bit ridiculous. Um, there's definitely a middle ground to take in He's being forced to take on too much responsibility versus not currently being at the level of player to actually carry a roster like this, which is completely understandable for a 22-year-old. But, yeah, I, I mean – Rob Nelson obviously has hit something of a bump after what was the best 55 game stretch of his career to this point. Probably uh, Josh Bailey obviously has dried up scoring a little bit, and he has not been the, the best player on the team this year. Uh, peripherally looking at his metrics, he's, he's not generating offense nearly the way he was in the last few seasons. Um, and Bovillia has always been a streaky player, but you're going to need one goal, more than one goal in his last 13 games at a point where the Islanders have just three wins in that stretch.
0: And what's your thoughts on, on Bovillier specifically, because I think Bovillier is the player for me that has been pretty disappointing because there was a period of this season here, James, that you felt, wow, you know, if they can make him a top six player that can score 20, 25 goals, you know, that really helps moving forward. And then, you know, this, this happens again where he's, and he's actually had some bad breaks uh, on a couple of the overtime goals uh, that have been scored against the Islanders recently, but you know, right now, you look at Anthony Bovillier and you say, you know, is he ever going to amount to anything more than, you know, a third-line type player on a team that has a good offense?
1: Right, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of been the the question about Bovillier since he came up. And now he's in, he's in his fourth full NHL season, which feels kind of crazy considering how young he still is. But he's always shown flashes of potentially being that top six guy. But as of now, as a 22-year-old, he definitely looks like a middle six forward. Um, There's obviously room for growth upward and he puts up stretches where you think, wow, this guy could legitimately be a top six winger, but he's not there consistently yet. And that's a big problem. Brock Nelson, I generally have less concerns with because he has been, you could argue, the second most valuable and consistent forward behind Matt Barzell uh, in in the Barry Trotz era. And there's even a case to be made that he has actually been uh, as consistent and as valuable as Barzell because he brings a bit more in the faceoff dot. Bring a brings a little bit more defensively. Um, but but the problem clearly now is on the wings. Um, getting Pajot shores up the center, even with Zizekas Hurt, it's not a death sentence to have Otto Cuevala playing as your fourth center. But when your wingers are simply not scoring, and that applies obviously up and down the lineup outside of Lee and Everly, who had their stretches middle of the year where they were struggling, that when you keep going down and you're looking at Broussard, who has maybe a goal or two in his last 30, Dal Cole, who's obviously not an offensive player, et cetera, et cetera. The problem just expounds on itself over and over and over again, where when certain guys can't score, the guys below them can't score, the guys below them can't score, you're stuck. And, again, it's a mediocre offensive team. They were last year. And I don't think goaltending deserves the blame because it's still a very above-average goaltending group outside of – the last few games with some hiccups, but when the goaltending is not at the elite level, it was last season and the offense stays subpar, you're looking at a team that is basically average, which the Islanders are this year.
0: When you look at the injuries, obviously they have, they've been unlucky this year. You have three freak injuries where guys are getting cut by skates, Clutterbucks, bucks, and then the very scary moment with Johnny Boychuk in the game against the Canadians earlier this week. Um, but the, The Sezikis injury, I mean, obviously that has had the biggest cause and effect when you look at record after someone being out. And um, certainly, you know, Barry Trotz in the past has talked about how he encompasses what it means to play like an Islander, that identity of the team, and obviously balances that fourth line and makes them a bit of an offensive threat and not just kind of a change the momentum, energy type of line. Obviously there are other attributable factors as to why they're playing the way they are. But, you know, is this a case for Casey Sizikis in terms of what he overall means um, to this Islanders lineup? And you talk about kind of the domino effect. It seems like that has been exasperated by his injury more than any other.
1: Yeah, especially because of the fact that at no point in the season have the Islanders been really reliably able to roll four lines, which was their strength last season, even if one of those lines was with Val Philpil and occasionally Leo Komarov, that line was still competent enough. Whereas this season, when you're really kind of cobbling together your third or fourth line any given night, and it's, let's say it's one night, it's Martin Koivala Komarov, and then it's dalcole Koivala Komarov. You know, whatever it is, whenever they put out uh, one line a night, is it's just completely unreliable. And you're looking at basically saying that we can only play this third line nine ten minutes in a game and actually trust that. And when you get to the third, the the third period and you're trailing, which they obviously have been in most games in the last few weeks, then you're stuck where you have to play your top two lines, almost exclusively late in games. And that's clearly not been successful for them either. It's um, it really is a bit of a snowball effect. And as things kind of keep getting worse, each loss of the six game losing streak has been, somehow worse than the last. You know, it was a good effort, but an overtime loss against the Rangers, and then a really bad effort, but an overtime loss against St. Louis, an absolute drubbing from Boston, two embarrassing losses to teams that are not in the playoff race, and a heartbreaking disaster against Carolina. It seems somehow it just gets worse and worse and worse every game, which, I I mean, at what point do they bottom out?
0: Right, we've been looking for... You know, where's rock bottom with the islanders and then they keep on reinventing what rock bottom is and um now the really only question is whether or not you want to stay up late this week to, to find out <laughs> or if you're gonna go to sleep early enough and uh you know pick up your phone when the alarm goes off and see if the notifications show up and either throw the phone or or, or smile surprise that they pulled out a win um on, on the West Coast. Um just you know, I like I like talking to you in, in about forward thinking with this team too, right? And unfortunately, I think we're looking already at that, uh, even though there's 15 games left in the season. Who knows what may happen? But it seems like they are banking, banking desperately for one, if not two, of their prospect pull forwards to really become fringe all-star type players at minimum. Whether it's Wallstrom, whether it's Bellows, to me, that is what kind of hinges on this team's success moving forward. Is whether or not they can get one or two guys that are currently in their system to be complementary top six type forwards that can score 20, 25, maybe, God forbid, 30 goals in a year. Sure. If that happens, and then Sorokin becomes a top flight goaltender. Maybe the outlook is much much brighter for the Islanders. But without that, it's going to be it's hard to think that it's anything but more of the same type of play that we've seen over the last two years offensively.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I don't mean to prospect bash um, because I think that that's something that often happens in the Islander fan base where prospects are either far too overhyped or far too berated for their shortcomings. But I don't think you're going to get from either uh, Bellows really at any point because he's now uh, you know 21 going on 22 years old this offseason um, and still not the offensive player you would hope for I don't think you're looking at a, at a point where he's ever going to be more than uh, a 20-goal scorer in the league, and that's that's kind of a generous estimate. And, and Wallstrom, the potential is still there. It's obviously far too early to write him of off, but this is a guy that scored 21 points in 44 AHL games this year. If you're in a position where next season you're counting on the 20-year-old Oliver Wallstrom to play top six right-wing minutes, you've already kind of lost the game. I, I mean, he is not at a point yet where he is ready to take on a large NHL responsibility, but then you look at the free agent pool and realize the fact that the top options that are there, guys like Taylor Hall, are likely not going to sign with the Islanders. And then you have to wonder, can Lamarillo find ways to plug holes with reliable, consistent NHL players, which is something that he's struggled to do in free agency so far at the Isles GM. So it's it's difficult to be long-term optimistic about this team uh, outside of saying, Well, for the next few years, they can float around the spot they are now. as a bubble team. Get in, maybe make some noise, maybe not. We'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, I was surprised that – I've heard Barry Trotz and Lula Ramalow talk about that. However, we have a couple of really good wingers coming. It's like, man, are they really that confident in this group? Because if it's not Bellows and Wallstrom, I mean, Holstrom? I mean, he's a baby playing at Bridgeport. So who is – if it's not those guys, who else are they talking about? that can jump into this lineup next year and and make a difference. So, I mean, it's certainly certainly something um, worth watching. So, all right, James, so 15 games left, Western Canada trip, schedule that has some tough games, but the last full stretch towards the end of the year is very winnable for this team. Uh, We also know the limitations currently of the Blue Jacket lineup, the struggles hmm. that the Carolina Hurricanes have had recently and net despite their back-to-back wins recently, the surging Rangers with the blip and a very tough schedule coming about. Um, does this team – I know Andrews Lee didn't like the word when it was brought up uh, a couple of days ago, but does this team salvage uh, the season and find their way into the playoffs?
1: I still – I think they do. I I think, you know, if I had to prognosticate, I'd put them above 50%, which I think is where most mathematical projections still have them sitting around. Um, And to not use cliches, but the next six games, each one of them is the single most important game of the season because it's a four-game road trip with three on the West Coast and then going into Pittsburgh, hosting Calgary, who are a very good team, and then in Toronto. And those are all teams that they're, they're all games coming up against playoff teams where they need to prove that the Islanders need to prove that they should be a playoff team by at least taking half the points in those six games, which it's very, very hard to feel optimistic that they can do that after watching their last six games. But like we said, for most of this show at a certain point, it has to be rock bottom, right? I mean, they can't lose their final 21 games of the year, obviously. And with the clear deficiencies for most of the other teams in the race, it's hard not to consider the Islanders of that group fighting for the wild card, Columbus, Carolina, New York, uh, and New York, obviously. It's hard not to consider the Islanders one of the two most likely teams to make a playoff spot from that group. But again, it's, it's, it's hard to find reasons to, to be excited or optimistic about this team after what we've seen for really the last month, give or take.
0: What a stra- It's been such a strange season. Every once in a while, I think that, wow, the Islanders were the top team on the power rankings there for for about a week in in December. And uh, to yeah. look at where the team is now, and I'm with you, if you're going to be glass half full, uh, which I really want to be, I'm not, you know, hopefully mm. people are listening and not thinking I'm being, you know, overly negative. I'm not, I feel like I'm being realistic, um, is that can this team really play this type of hockey for three, three and a half straight months? Can you really play this mediocre for three, and, three, three and a half straight months? Or is everyone due to kind of hit the upswing all at the same time and really change the course of the year? And I've heard certain players talk about this, how they're close, how they're playing, they're much better than what they've shown. I've heard the idea of, you know, if they're able to get through this, they'll be much better off for it. And I buy into that. If you're able to survive this somehow and really turn the corner, maybe you become a dangerous playoff team. I've seen stranger things, but – Man, I feel like I've been waiting for that, that flip to switch now for at least a month and a half, two months.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I could be wrong about this, but I, I am pretty sure that uh, in, in last season, the Islanders at no point lost uh, three regulation games in a row with Trotz as their coach, mm-hmm. and then they've done that twice in the last 12 games. So, yeah, it, it really, you have to wonder, at some point in these next 15 Maybe, does the second line turn it around? Do you get six goals from Movilie in the next 15 and four from Nelson and four from Bailey, where suddenly you have a a potent top six again or a potent enough to push you over the edge? And does losing 10 of 12 and then maybe winning 9 of 15, hypothetically, let's say, does that give you the surge you need to actually maybe be a danger to uh, whoever wins the Metro in the first round of the playoffs? Because that could really be anybody of uh, Pittsburgh, Washington, and Philadelphia right now. So... And like you said, I think that we are maybe being as optimistic as possible right now. I mean, it's very, very hard to even have the glass half full after the stretch we've seen this team put up, but you know, they're not as good as the point streak, obviously. They're not as bad as 10 losses in 12 games. They are somewhere close to the middle, but they're going to need to be at least a 500 hockey team down the stretch and get a few breaks to, to make it in, but that shouldn't sound as unrealistic as it feels.
0: Right. Now I know what you're saying about the feeling right now. You look right now, the way they're playing, you look at the schedule and you don't think they're going to win a game. Mm -hmm. And and (laughs) that's, that's the way you feel as a fan right now. And, um, you know, I tweeted this out that you know Barry Trotz looked defeated after the Ottawa game. He had his head down in the post game, and you know, I was posting photos of Doug Weight and and oh, and Jack oh. Capuano in similar situations uh, because you know we hadn't seen that from Barry Trotz. And all I could think about is, my God, if Barry Trotz doesn't have the answers for this group, how lost must they really be if he can't pinpoint what it is that's slugging them down? And I think. Ultimately, it's probably something that we can't see but can be measured usually if you're in a dressing room with the team, which is they're having a crisis of confidence at the moment. They're not expecting things to go their way. They're not playing fast. They're overthinking things, overcomplicating things, and they need something to happen. Either someone's going to make something happen or a break has to happen, and I feel like you know the entire monkey goes off their back and maybe they feel like they're back at it again. And you thought maybe that could have been the case if they would have won that game in overtime against the Carolina Hurricanes after the mm-hmm. Bailey goal and they get the penalty and and said it was more of the same. So uh, I don't know, James. So uh, are you are you do back at the Coliseum before the year is over?
1: Uh I I believe I have one more game in April uh, locked in and then I'll hopefully try to get there at least one other time, but um you know, if, if, I guess it kind of depends on what the Islanders are doing, right? If it's, uh, if they end up five points back of a playoff spot and it's the last few games of the season, maybe I'll, I'll stay home. Maybe if they're inching for a playoff spot and that last game against the Devils becomes the, the singular most important game of the year, I mean, I definitely then could not be kept away from the Coliseum. So um, it's definitely going to be an interesting, nervous, uh, terrifying time to be an Islander fan for the next month. <laughs>
0: And remember, all playoff rounds will be played at the Nassau Coliseum this year.
1: <laughs> Woo! All right, let's go. Love to hear
0: it. <laughs> oh, my God. That announcement, too. It feels like the better the Belmont news is, the worse this team plays on the ice. That's, that's all I kind of feel like uh, yeah, in recent years. It almost like it's so
1: Anyway, James, James. play the second round at yeah. the Coliseum, and then they are clearly no longer a team capable of making the second round. It's just <laughs> – uh. um,
0: well, James, it's, uh, it's been fun talking, as always. Uh, I think you were more glass half-full than glass half-empty, so I appreciate that, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks a lot, Joe. Hopefully next time it's uh, under better standing circumstances.
0: We'll be back to wrap things up in a moment. You're listening to P.T. Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network.
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty,
0: All right, we're back, P.T. Isles, Joe Bona with you. And before we wrap things up, I wanted to certainly note that Sunday was International Women's Day. It's also my wife's birthday. So every year, my wife's birthday is on International Women's Day, which is pretty cool. And, of course, Sunday evening, in honor of International Women's Day, NBC Sports um, utilized an all-female crew to broadcast and produce uh, the St. Louis Blues-Chicago Blackhawks game. Uh, Pretty historic moment for the NHL and really all sports as um, it was their first game ever produced and broadcast solely by women. Awesome event. Awesome idea. I'm sure it's something they're going to do every year on out. And, um, you know, this game obviously had a a bit of an Islander flavor to it um, as as, um, there were five women broadcasting the game. But, of course, two of them were familiar faces, A.J. Malesko and Jennifer Botterill. Uh, Malesko was on Color Commentary and then uh, Botterill was serving as an in-studio analyst. And I think you always uh, get a kick to see Brendan Burke doing national games and AJ doing national games and and Jennifer doing national games. And and certainly uh, we have a lot of pride in the fact that they are Islander announcers and how good our Islander broadcast is night in and night out. And, of course, we're very um, familiar with seeing AJ and Jennifer with Shannon Hogan now. Pre-game, post games in between periods, uh, now for about two years. Uh, Islanders made that move uh, to bring in A.J. and Jennifer a, a year ago, and I think it's worked out very, very well. There's always going to be the detractors. Let them have their say. They're going to have their opinions. You're not going to change them, but uh, certainly I think they've uh, uh, proven themselves behind the mic. Uh, they know what they're talking about. They know hockey. And um, it's really been been great to see over the last year, year and a half. So congratulations to them and everyone that was involved on that broadcast on Sunday night. So that'll do it for this episode of PTI. So special thanks once again to Gotham Sports Network's James Duffy. Next up for the Islanders, the Western Conference Road Trip. Tuesday night in Vancouver, Thursday in Calgary, and then Friday in Edmonton. Stay up late, Islander fans, if you can, to watch that. Otherwise, you be very nervous when you grab that phone um, the following morning to see what the final score was. Don't forget to follow at LHH Podcast for all the latest updates on PT Isles and all our other shows on this channel. Islanders Anxiety, Isles Buzz, Lighthouse Lookback, My Favorite Islanders Game, and Islanders Award winners. We'll talk to you next week, Islanders Country. Good night.